right. Well, hello, everybody. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. I feel like Brad uh, said this morning, man, I just cannot wait to come to the house of God. I'm so glad that I get to worship God freely uh, still today. And a lot of places in the world, you just can't worship God freely, but we get to do it together. So I'm so grateful for that. And I hope we never take that for granted, that we can come to the house of God and experience the power in the presence of God with our family. Speaking of family, I want to say hello to our family who's joining us online right now, wherever you are watching or joining from. And a special shout out to our family at Upshur County Jail. Come on, let's tell them how much we love them. We love you guys. We love you so much. We're so grateful that you're joining us today. How many of you are enjoying this cooler weather? I mean, I just, I wait all year long for these short few months and it's, it's wonderful. Uh, and I hope it stays because, you know, they tease us a little bit in Texas. We'll get a few cool mornings and then right back to 90 degrees. So I'm praying for that. Today I'm excited though. There's a lot happening in our church, a lot happening this month. And one of them is we're starting a new series today on the book of James. And so it, I'm, all month I'm going to talk about the book of James, but I also want to just tell you um, there's five chapters and I cannot cover everything in these five weeks. So you're going to need to read James for yourself throughout the week. So I'm just going to encourage you. We're going to talk about James 1 today and all week long. Go and continue to read James 1. It's so nutrient rich. I mean, there's so much in it that you could read it every single day and get something different every single day. And so I just want to encourage you as we're going through this, keep going through it. Like, don't just let what you hear be this morning. Go listen to it. Read it all that throughout the week, and God's going to continue to re reveal things to you. So I'm going to walk through this book a little bit. We're going to have to jump around a little bit, but starting in James chapter 1, verse 1, let's, let's look at the first verse where James tells us who it is. This is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. What he's, he's telling you who, who it is that's talking. It's your boy, James. That's what he's saying. And this is who it's to. It's, it's to the churches. It's to Jewish Christians, not just a church. This is unique because he's writing a letter, not just to a singular church like Paul often did, but he was writing to Christians all over, Jewish Christians that have been scattered abroad to many different churches. So that's not focusing on one area. He's saying this is for all Christians, which means this is for us, right? This is specific to us today. And it's written by James, who is, he's saying, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Now, there are many different James. In fact, in Hebrew, it, many people say it's Jacob or Jacob, okay? I, I can't say Hebrew, but it's James in the English translation. So in case you read the Jewish Bible, it will say Jacob, but it is James in the English. So not to be confused with a number of other James, most scholars believe, and based on the timing of this book and other letters and, uh, that they've read, that this is James, the half-brother of Jesus who is writing this, which is really important because we know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? I mean, a half-brother because he was born from Mary, but Mary was a virgin because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Joseph wasn't his natural father, but James, James's father was Joseph. Now, what gives this book so much credibility to Jesus is that his half-brother is writing it, right? How many of you know that your siblings... They know everything about you. If anybody is not enamored with you, it is your siblings. They see the good, they see the bad, they see who you are when no one's around, right? Especially James having an older brother as Jesus who was perfect and sinless. That would be very difficult. You would probably have a little anger in your heart 
towards him because you were always compared to him as the second child or third child always is to the first. So this is part of what really, I think, gives some credibility to Jesus being the savior of the world is that he says, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm a servant of my brother. I have a brother who is seven years younger than me, and I can promise you, he would never say, I'm a servant of Stephen Warnock, the Lord Jesus Christ. He would not say that. He would not say that because he's seen me. He knows all the dirt, okay? And James knows there was no dirt. And he came to the point where he was able to say, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm giving my life to serve him. And James actually rose to be a prominent leader in the first church, in the early church. And so he was a pillar of this church, and his words had wisdom and they had power. If anybody knew Jesus, it was James. And so a lot of what you're going to hear in the book of James or this letter in James is, is from Jesus. It's echoing teachings of Jesus. And so a couple things about this is that the book of James is very practical and ethical. Uh, this is why I like James so much because he's like, look, I don't care what you're saying. Show me what you're doing, right? He cared more about your walk than your talk. He cared about more about the demonstration of faith in our life than the declaration of faith in our life. So he, he kind of gets in your face a little bit. He didn't really care what his readers thought of him. When you go read, you're going to see. He, he just kind of said some plain things very bluntly. And how many of you know we need to just get some blunt scripture sometimes? Like, I need this today, okay? So when you read it, it's not harsh. It's loving, but it's going to be just kind of in your face. This is why it's one of my favorite books. So with that, let's jump into James 1. Look at verse 2. He starts off by saying, consider it pure joy or count it all joy, your translation may say, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He's, he's saying, hey, right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, you're going to go through some things, you're going to go through some trials, and you just need to be happy in those trials is what he's saying, kind of, right? We don't like that. Nobody likes this verse. But what he's telling us is there's some tests that are coming. And, and I love what he says here because it shows who he's talking to. He's talking to three kinds of people, and I'm venturing to guess that those three people are in here today. So wherever you are when I say these, raise your hand if you're in one of these categories. How many of you are in a trial right now, right? In a trial, going through something difficult right now. Okay, good amount of people. How many of you are just coming out of a trial? Raise your hand. Online too, okay? You've just been through one, okay? All right, now the third group. How many of you are going into a trial soon? Everybody should raise your hand. I hate to spoil it for you. Some of you are like, not me, the rest of my life, smooth sailing. No. We are all either in one, coming out of one, or going into one at all times in our life because Jesus promised us that we would have difficulty in this world. We would have trials. We would have tribulations in this world. So whether you're in one or not now, one's coming. So this, I'm sorry, that's not encouraging, but it's going to get encouraging, okay? Okay. So this book is for us, and he's really setting the tone for the whole chapter and really the whole book with these two verses. And so I want to walk through a few things here because I believe that James teaches us first, the first thing he's going to teach us is three ways to pass the test of our trials because trials are a test. So we see, we see three things if you're taking notes, and the first one is really right here, consider it pure joy or count it all joy, or I would say it this way, rejoice in your trials. Not, not a lot of amens on this one, right? A couple, just a couple. Rejoice in your trials. Now, you're going, how in the world can I rejoice in my trials? Because a trial is a negative reality. 
It's something in reality that's happening that's negative. Like I'm going through a marriage problem. That's a negative reality. I have a financial problem. That's a negative reality. I have a health issue. That's a negative reality. How can I rejoice in that? How can I feel good about that? How can I be happy in that? Because a negative reality will produce negative emotions. And that's true. Like you're going to feel sad. You're going to feel angry maybe. You're going to feel frustration. You may cry. You know, you, you may feel depressed. You may feel anxiety. These are all negative emotions that are triggered by a negative reality. But what James is saying here is that don't let your response be based on your emotions. Let your response be based on a decision. Because to count it all joy or to consider it joy is a choice. It's not based on your feelings. He didn't say feel it all joy. Because we often think that joy is a feeling, but it's not. It's a choice we make despite of what we feel in the moment. And I love that because we have choices, we have control over our choices and our decisions when we don't have control over our emotions. And your emotions are not bad. I always say your emotions are a, a gauge to tell you how you're doing, but they're not a good guide to tell you what to do. And we need to be careful when we run into a trial that we don't let our emotions dictate what we do, but we count it as joy because of what choice we get to make in this situation. And he calls it a test. This is an important thing. It's the testing of your faith. And I heard one author say it this way, that trials put your faith on the witness stand. Now think about that for a minute. Because when you go to court, somebody takes the witness stand. And what this person on the witness stand does is they are testifying to what's true or what they've seen or what they know to be true. So when you run into a trial, your faith takes the witness stand to tell you whether you know uh, what you believe is actually true in your life or not. So it is a test. Now in school, nobody liked tests. There were some people that did and we didn't like them. Because they would be like, you forgot the test. We were going to take a test today. And everybody's like, man, shut up. You know, like, can't. If you were one of those people, we love you. We probably work for you today. So you are much smarter than us. But the reality is there are tests. And what does a test do? A test reveals what you already know. It reveals something you should have already been taught. You don't get a test over something that you shouldn't have learned already. You get tests over material that you've already learned. And so what a test does is it reveals, were you truly listening when class was going on? Were you truly paying attention? Were you studying the material? What tests reveal for us today is we can sit here in church today and be like, man, God is good. All the time, God is good. I, I'll, he's my source. I trust his word. And we can say all those things and they all sound like faith until the trial hits. And what the trial does is it reveals, do we really believe all those things we've been saying or were we just posturing at church? I'm sorry, maybe a little in your face today, but this is the truth. It's designed to prove whether what we say has depth to it, whether we truly believe what God is saying in his word. And I thought about a, um, a couple in our church, a family in our church that went through some serious trials recently, Cedric and Alita Haggerty. They went through some difficult things. Cedric was in a very bad car accident, really should have taken his life. He was temporarily paralyzed and he had a long road of recovery. But as he was kind of coming out of that, by the grace of God, they said, you shouldn't have made it. By the grace of God, he came out of that. And as he was coming out of that, their house burned down and they lost everything. They didn't lose anybody, but they lost everything. And the very next Sunday, I see Cedric at church. And I'm like, Cedric, what are you doing here, man? He said, I knew where I needed to be. I needed to be in the house of God. And, and he, wasn't, 
He wasn't depressed about it. Yeah, it was hard, but man, they, they had joy in the middle of their trial. And, and I'm telling you, his perspective on things changed. You talk to them today, they have a different perspective on life. They have a different perspective on things. And this is, this is what trials do. And really, the, what we need to do in the trials change our outlook. Because the truth is, is that your outlook will determine the outcome. How you view this is what what James is saying will determine what comes out of it. Instead of complaining and whining and being like, why me, God? And and reading lamentations all the time and being like, I'm so burdened. Why do I have to go through all these trials, God? I mean, if we're honest, we do that. I've I've done it. So there's no condemnation. We, oh, God, that's so hard. Nobody knows but me, you know? And instead of doing that, we have to stop and evaluate our trial from the standpoint of, God, what are you trying to show me in this? That's how you have joy. Some people say, well, rejoicing in their trials is is just trying to, you know, pretend nothing is happening. No, that's not true. Rejoicing in your trial is not a denial of an external reality. It's an awareness of a greater internal reality, that God is doing something, and I'm waiting to see what it is. This is how you can rejoice in your trials. Because they weren't meant to take you out. They're just meant to work out some things in you. And this is the second thing that James teaches us is that when we go through a trial, we need to cooperate with God's growth process. Whether we like it or not, trials are a part of God's growth process in our life. In fact, that's what the next verse says in verse four. He says, let perseverance finish its work. We don't want it to finish its work so that you may be what? mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is how you grow. This is how you mature because there are tests that reveal whether we trust God to grow us through it or whether we're going to stay in infancy, whether we're going to mature or whether we're going to stay in a state that we were before. It's the same of tests in school, right? You have to pass these tests in school to go to the next grade. If you don't pass the test, you get held back. These trials are tests to see whether we're going to go on to the next level of our relationship with God, whether we're going to continue to mature or not. And what I love about this word perseverance, it's the same word many times in the New Testament as the word endurance. So perseverance and endurance in the New Testament are often interchangeable. In fact, some translations would say endurance even right here. But that word in the Greek is so much more powerful than we understand. It means to remain under Not to try to escape out of, but remain under the the trial that you're going through, the difficult thing that you're going through. That's not fun, but that's what faith does for us. It it allows us to stay in it and remain under it, saying, I'm not trying to get out of the situation. I'm trying to grow through the situation. And what James is teaching us is that growth only comes when we go through difficult things. And when we stop enduring, essentially, James is saying, we stop maturing, And you can see this in in real life with people. When people try to escape the reality of what they're going through, they turn to an addiction of some sort, whether it be drugs or alcohol or pornography or gaming or something. They, They turn to try to escape the reality of the difficulties they're going through. At the age they start getting addicted to something is the age they stop maturing. You can see it. Why? Because the only way you mature is you properly handle difficult situations and you allow yourself to work through them. And so age does not determine your maturity. Your ability to go through difficult situations will determine your maturity. That's why you can have people who are 50 and 60 years old still escaping something from their 20s. God is trying to mature us. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to help us 
become who he created us to be. That's why we can rejoice in the trial. In fact, Paul would also say this in a number of other places, but look at Romans chapter five. He says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And then look at what he says about it. And endurance, it's the same word, develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. There's a great progression here. When we go through things, it develops character in us. It makes us stronger. And the stronger we are, the more we can hope in our God. This is a part of that maturing. The test of character only comes through pain and suffering. Trials are tests that reveal who we really are and what we really believe. If you think about it, it's like a squeezing, right? When you go through something, you feel the pressure. It's like everything feels like it's squeezing you. Well, when you're squeezed, what's in you will come out. Like, like a sponge. When I squeeze a sponge, whatever was absorbed into that sponge is gonna come out. Your faith will either come out or not come out when you're squeezed in the middle of a trial. What you truly believe will come out. And I love what, uh, that Paul went through this and he talks about rejoicing in trials all the time. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you can read about this. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, something in his side, something that was a trial that he was going through. He did not want to go through it. In fact, he asked the Lord three times, he said, please take this away from me. And God responded every time, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. There's a picture here that if God removed the thorn, he would also have to remove his grace. Because it's only in the middle of that pain do we see God's strength in our life. It's only in the middle of the trial can God prove his strength in our life. And, and, and I heard it said this way, and I, and I love it in a perspective to think about this. Look at this. It's that when trials come up, faith is trusting that help will come down. Amen. Think about this. Because trials arise, and when trials arise, you have a choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to trust that God is going to send me help? He's going to be my strength, or am I going to try to muscle my way out of this? Or am I going to run from it? So when trials come up, faith says, no, I know help's going to come down. I know that God is going to help me in the middle of this. It says I'm not trying to escape it. I'm trying to grow in it. And here's the thing about trials and tests. When you run into a trial or something difficult with your marriage, maybe your spouse, and you run from it, or maybe you run into something difficult in your job, you don't like the way the boss is treating you, and so you run from it. Every time we don't pass that test, we have to go pass it somewhere else. So if you don't pass it with this spouse, you're going to have to pass it with another spouse. If you don't pass it in this job, you'll have to pass it in another job. You can't escape the test, and you can only move on when you pass the test. I know, guys, you were coming for something more encouraging today. That's why I love James, because he's just telling us the truth. So then he, says, he tells us the third thing to do. If you're in the middle of trial and, and you're going through something hard, God's growing you through it, you're not alone in it. In fact, he says, here's the third thing you need to do. Ask for wisdom. Don't try to just figure everything out on your own. Ask for wisdom. In fact, that's what the next verse says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He's saying we have a great God that, that has all wisdom and all knowledge, and if you're in the middle of a problem or a trial or a difficult situation, just ask God for wisdom. Don't ask to get out of it. Ask for his wisdom in it. What do you want to show me in this, right? James is, is actually considered the Proverbs of the New Testament, 
because it's full of practical wisdom for our life. And he's saying, look, if you need wisdom, ask God. He's got it for you. He's not judging you. He will give it to you. But he also goes on to say the reason that we don't receive wisdom in the middle of our trials is because many times we've already predetermined what we want to do. In fact, that's the next verse. Look at what he says in verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt or ask in faith because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And the next verse goes on to say he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. He is washed back and forth. He can't make up his mind. He's saying, God, I'm going to ask you what you want me to do. Give me wisdom. But while I'm waiting on that, let me go Google it. Let me put it out there on Facebook. Let me go, let me go see what everybody else should tell me to do. So that person's wishy-washy. They're saying, God, I want your wisdom, but just in case, let me find out what everybody else is telling me I should do too. That person's unstable in all of their ways. I mean, think about it. If someone were to come to you and say, hey, would you pray for me about this situation? But you know they've already made up their mind to do something else because they've already told you they're going to do something else. Why would you pray about it? If my kids come to me and say, hey, would you, can I, you know, give, give me some advice on this, but I already know that they've already made up their mind, why would I give them my wisdom? This is the same thing God is saying. If, you, if you're coming to me just as an obligatory thing to say, I asked God, but I've already made up my mind to do it, why would you expect to receive any wisdom from God? So when you come to ask for wisdom from God, say, God, whatever you say is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to seek out the, the counsel of Facebook. Please don't do that. that. That's how you end up in another trial and another test over and over again. So he's saying, don't let your actions be inconsistent with your thoughts. Like, don't, don't let your action of asking God for wisdom be inconsistent with your predetermined decision to do something else no matter what God says, but ask in faith and he'll give it to you. And so James goes on a couple verses later to start talking about temptations. And it starts to seem like, hey, this is a total different twist. He just told us how to get through these trials, but now he's talking about temptations, but it, it's, not, it's not off. It's not far off. They actually go together because both trials and temptations are both tests. In fact, what I've found that often it is the trials outside of you that trigger temptation inside of you. So these go together. Because when you're going through a trial, you're being squeezed. When you're going through pressure and you're tired and you're going through pain and you're weak, the enemy sees this as a great opportunity to trigger a temptation inside of you to escape the trial. We have to be aware that these two work in concert. They're not separate, they're together because the enemy, remember, he wants to take you out. So he looks for the weak moments of your life. He, he looks for the moments where you're already down to kick you. And he wants to get you into a temptation to draw you away from God when you need him most. And this is why we need to be aware that trials and temptations often work together. But James will go on to give us three things I also see in the scripture here to help us pass the test of temptation. And in verse 13, Look at what he says here. Well, first I'm going to tell you the point. We got to recognize the source of temptation. If you're going to pass the test of temptation, recognize the source of temptation. James says it in this way. When tempted, also not if tempted, when tempted, therefore you will be tempted. No one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is never the source of your temptation. 
right? He, he will never tempt you. In fact, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In fact, that's why he says, lead us not into temptation, because God will never tempt you, but he reveals who it is that tempts you, the evil one, right? So you have to recognize the source of your temptation. And I just think it's good to clear this up right now that temptation is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin, otherwise Jesus would have sinned. He was tempted in the same way that you and I are tempted, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, okay? So being tempted is not a sin. It's what follows the temptation that determines whether it's going to be a sin or not. In fact, James would actually spell this out in just a minute, but this is the second point I want us to see is we have to understand the process of temptation. Understand the process of temptation because if you're going to be aware of what temptation leads to, you need to know there's a progression of it. Let me just show it to you here. He says, but each person, when they're tempted, they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, look at the language here, It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a progression, just like a a conception to full grown adult, there's a progress that happens. And here it is spelled out a little bit differently. You have these thoughts, your thoughts are the temptation, okay? That's why the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the word of God, because it starts in our thought life. Every temptation will start in your thought life. And if not dealt with, those thoughts are leading you toward the desires of the flesh, okay? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if those desires aren't dealt with, they'll lead to actions. And these actions are where you're moving toward the sin, where you start to take the steps in the direction of sin. So the actions lead to the sin, and then the sin ultimately leads to death. There's a number of steps here along the way, but this death could be a number of different types of death. It could be an emotional death. It could be a relational death. It could be a marriage death. It could be a spiritual death. Ultimately, sin, because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, it could lead to a natural death. It can take us and get us addicted to things that will literally kill us. So there's this progression here of that where it starts in our thought life. This is where you wanna win. Stop it as soon as possible. The scripture talks about fleeing youthful lust, running away from things like this right? Not staying stuck in sin. I just want to encourage you, if you have been tempted and fallen into temptation and you've seen yourself in this progression, the, the proverb says that the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. So if you've fallen in this area, don't stay down, get back up. There is still hope for you today. You don't have to stay stuck in your temptation and stuck in your sin. You can come out of it. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 He says that that Jesus was tempted in every way like you and I were, so he could identify with us. So there's no temptation that you've had that Jesus wasn't tempted with at some level. So he could identify with us, and that's why he says, that's why you can approach the throne of grace for mercy in your time of need. So being tempted is not a sin. If you're in any one of these processes, stop and approach the throne of grace for mercy today. You don't have to stay stuck in it. You need that encouragement today. So he's saying, listen, you don't understand the process of temptation. Then I, I believe he's saying this. He needs to, that we need to identify the deception of temptation. This one was really a, a game changer for me, identifying the deception of temptation. And this is what James goes on to say here. Don't be deceived. 
my dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. This is in the same order where he's talking about temptation. And here he's saying, don't be deceived though. First of all, God's not tempting you. Okay, you need to understand what the process of temptation is. Because if you understand that the deception of temptation is that something else will satisfy you besides Jesus. This is always the deception of temptation. Whatever it is that you're tempted with, you think, if I give in to that, it's going to satisfy me. The truth is, it's not. Only one person will satisfy the desires of your heart, and that is Jesus. And that's why I encourage you, I put it this way in my notes, that in temptation, don't just run from something, run to someone. Run to Jesus. Because we often know we got to flee temptation. We got to get away from that temptation. That's great. But if you don't run to someone, you'll just run back to it. You got to realize the deception of temptation is that something else will satisfy you besides Jesus. And for me, in my personal life, years ago, this was the game changer for me. When I realized that, that this thing that was causing me lust would never satisfy the need. Pornography will never satisfy the need. Alcohol will never satisfy the need, right? Anger, blowing up will never satisfy the need. It may feel good in a moment. All of those things will feel good in a moment, but on the other side of it, it leaves you broken, empty, alone, destitute, hungry for more, and wondering, disgusted with yourself, wondering, why am I still here? Because we ran to the wrong things. That's why he says, I need you to understand those aren't good gifts. Only good gifts come from Jesus. Only good gifts come from the Father. And if you could change that perception in your mind that when you're tempted to run after this thing that you think will satisfy you, no, no, that's not a good gift. That overpromises and underdelivers. There's only one person that gives good gifts, and that is the Father of lights. That will change some things in your temptation if you start to recognize it at that moment. In fact, God is so good in his grace and his mercy, he says that, look, I'm not abandoning you in your time of temptation. I actually am going to be there for you and with you, and I'm actually going to give you a way out. Look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. I memorized this as a child. No temptation has overtaken you. None. No temptation will overtake you, except that which is common to mankind. In other words, your temptation is not unique. That's what the enemy's trap is. Well, no one knows what you're going through. No one's ever been tempted like this. It's just too much to bear. No, it's common. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's not going to crush you. And then he goes on to say, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He says, I'm always going to provide a way out for you. I'm never going to allow you to be crushed by the weight of temptation. You're, you're, it's like this picture to me of weightlifting. When you're lifting weights and you feel like that weight is too much to bear, like it's just going to crash down on you, grace is the spotter that steps in and says, no, this isn't going to crush you. As I lift this off of you, I'm providing a way out so you won't be crushed by it. And God tells himself, I'm going to do this for you. You can take this to the bank. So start looking for the way out. There's always a way out. The lie is you have to give into this temptation now. No, I don't. There's a way out and I'm going to run to someone in Jesus, because he's the only one that gives the good gifts. James is so practical. He gives us so many good practical things for living. And, and what he's trying to tell us in this is that we're going to go through tests in life. And if we're going to pass those tests in life, if we're going to pass the test of trials and pass the, the test of temptations, we have to keep our eyes 
on the prize. We have to keep our eyes on where we're headed. Like Hebrews 12, two says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He stayed under that, that struggle, under that trial for the joy set before him. It's the same language that James was using for the joy set before us. Consider it pure joy when you go through this because the testing of your faith will produce some things in you. It's keeping our eyes on the prize. In fact, if you go back to the very middle of James 1, James 1, 12, Look at what he says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. What an encouraging and beautiful scripture. The crown of life is not a jeweled crown like the queen, right? No, it is the crown that runners get at the end of the race. It's like what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9. He says that we all run the race to win. So run to receive the prize. Run to get the crown. It's the victor's crown. It was a crown that they would give the winner of the race. And this picture here is that if we persevere, if we have joy in our trials and we, and we pass this test, there is a crown of victory on the, the reward for passing the test is victory. You're going to have victory in your life. Keep it in front of you. This is what I'm running after. I'm running a race and I'm running to win. It's the same language that Paul uses. And then at the end of James chapter one, there's these series of verses that are just so incredibly powerful that he tells us to get through the trials and the temptations of life. We have to really pay attention to what God says. Look at this in James 1, 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. This is really one of the main themes of the book of James. Just do what it says. It's so simple. Yeah, so profound. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. He goes on to say, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, doesn't give up, goes on to say, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I love this. This is a beautiful picture of looking into the mirror of God's word. His word is a mirror. Why is it a mirror? Because it shows us who we're supposed to be. It's a mirror that reveals who we are and what we're supposed to do and the purpose for our life and what we're supposed to look like. And, it, and as the more we look intently into the word, this scripture is saying, the more you're going to find freedom in your life. The more you're going to grow if you look intently into the word. And I was thinking about that picture of the mirror and the word. The, the scripture uses this language of mirror a couple of different times. And I was thinking about my daughter, Emma, my middle daughter. When she was younger, she used to love to look at herself in the mirror. I mean, like we would just go into a room and find her looking in the mirror at herself. She'd be up on the counter. She'd just be like looking at herself and smiling, talking to herself. And, and then we'd find her. We had pictures of her that I almost showed you one this morning where we just walk in the room and she's just looking in the mirror, just looking at herself. She started to love herself. My wife and I were like, what's going on? I mean, do we have to deal with vanity in our daughter at this young of an age? Like, I'm worried about her. Then I started to realize, no, she's just starting to believe the things I've been telling her. I've been telling her she's beautiful. I've been telling her that she's amazing. I've been telling her she's one of a kind. And the more she looked into the mirror, remembering the words of her father, the more she started to believe what she saw. 
this is what the word does for us. The more you look into the mirror of God's word and you listen to what it says, you begin to believe what it's telling you you can do. You begin to walk out what it's telling you can do. But if you walk away from it, you forget what kind of person you're supposed to be. This is the power of the word of God in our life. If you want to get through the tests, look at the mirror. You want to pass the test of temptation, keep looking in the mirror. Listen, I, I, I just kept thinking about this, this phrase in my heart. Listen, the word of God, the wisdom of God is found in the word of God. And it's revealed by the spirit of God to us. The more we look into it, the more the spirit reveals to us who we are. And, but then he doesn't stop there. He empowers us to do what it says for our lives. And for some of us, for some of you today, maybe, this, maybe you find yourself in this place where you've been asking God to get you out of a trial you're in. You're just ready to get out of it. And he's saying, no son, no daughter, I need you to change your perspective. I'm growing you, I'm maturing you. Don't run from this test, it's for your good. I'm gonna show myself strong in your life if you will look to me. There's, an, there's another group of people I felt like maybe you're here today and you've been, you've been falling into temptation. It's not that just you were tempted, you've been actually falling into temptation. You've been walking out that progression. And, and I'm telling you today, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but your father is telling you today, quit looking to that. I'm here, I have good gifts for you. If you'll just look at me, if you'll just look to me, I have a good gift for you. I wanna deliver you from that. I want you to find freedom and healing. He has it for you. Don't believe the deception of the temptation. I believe that's a word for all of us today. Listen, trials are gonna come. Temptations are gonna come. Tests are going to come. But my encouragement for you today and the hope for you today is you will overcome. You will pass the test if you just keep looking into the mirror of God's word. Amen. Would you pray with me? I wanna, I wanna pray for us. And really, I wanna just go to the Lord and ask, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to us? Your word reveals things to us, every single one of us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're revealing right now areas in our lives, God, that we need to trust you more, that our faith needs to put on the, be put on the witness stand to prove that we truly believe what your word says. I pray, God, even today as you've revealed these trials we're going through that we've tried to get out of, that you'd give us faith to stay in it, faith to grow in it, faith to trust you in it, the wisdom of God that's available to us. I just pray for every person today, God, in a trial, in a temptation. I pray that we would pass the test, God. And you would mature us into the kind of people that you want us to be through the power of your Holy Spirit and the wisdom of your word today, God. Speak to every one of us and let people see our lives and see your goodness and your faithfulness in it. Not absent from the problems they go through, but present in the problems that they go through, God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.